Well, good morning, everyone. Um, it's great to be with you this morning. My name is Darren Geyer. I'm the director of Commuter Life here at Northwestern. Um, happy to be uh, able to be able to share with you this morning some of the things God has put on my heart. Um, as the director of Commuter Life, I get pretty excited about things like commuter students. Are there any commuter students in the house today? Yes? We love you. We love you so much. Also, by way of introduction, um, I need to tell you a little bit about my family. Um, this is us up there, um, my wife and my five children. Um, we, we just, we enjoy life together. Um, our life is far from perfect, but we, we really enjoy each other. By the way, I said five children. For you math majors, maybe you've already figured this out, but there's only four of them there. That's because uh, this was a year ago when my wife was pregnant with our fifth, which is this next little guy up there. I couldn't resist, I couldn't resist um, showing him in his little cute glory there. I, I just think he's just the wonderful little man, and I, I love that little guy. But um, we um, uh, are happy to be in the house together with you today. I'm glad that you're here. It was almost, I, I remember it like it was almost yesterday. After all, it was a big day in the life of a 13-year-old boy. We had been told about it in school. All the neighbors were talking about it. We had even received something about it in the mail. So when the day finally came, I could hardly contain my excitement. Admittedly, there was little else to occupy our time on that lazy June afternoon. School had been out for a week and summer boredom was in full swing already. So my older brother and I, we decided to do what every kid in our small rural Wisconsin town did that day. We went to the library. Hurry up, Dan, I don't want to be late, I shouted as I tied my shoes by the front door. Dan said, oh, it's not that big of a deal, but I knew better. This was not just another ordinary trip to the library. We got on our bikes and we pedaled. And as we approached downtown, the wind rushing in my face, I thought about how important this day was. And in retrospect, it indeed was a day that would change my life, a day that would change all of our lives. As we parked our bikes at the library, I was disheartened to see a line of people flowing out onto the sidewalk. I certainly had never seen so many people wanting to go to the library before. See, I told you we were gonna be late, Dan, I said, and I ignored his, his eye roll and I ran up to the back of the line and I waited and I waited and the line moved so slowly. And at last, though, I was in the building. And a few long minutes later, I saw it. At the front of the line, there it was. Our library's IBM computer, with all who were close enough to the front of the line gathered around, faces glowing in the light of the square screen. What seemed like an hour passed before I finally got to the front of the line, and, and the librarian kindly offered, Darren, would you like a turn? Yes, I said. And she said, have you ever been on the internet before? I said, no. I was anxious with anticipation. And she said, well, this one machine, it's like, sort of like a million computers and all of their information is here for you in this one machine. And all of those computers are located all around the world. And with wide eyes, I grabbed the mouse and I clicked. 
That's the day, the day the internet came to Kendall, Wisconsin. I was born in 1980, at the tail end of Generation X. You know, I've been, attempted, I've been tempted to call myself a millennial, um, but because I'm right on that dividing line, but I remember vividly life before the internet, before the digital age, and so honestly, I have to consider myself Gen X. My childhood was, after all, decidedly analog. I witnessed um, how the internet changed things. Over time, I, I observed um, how it shaped the world that we live in. You know, a lot has been said about the dangers of the internet, the dangers of things like smartphones and social media. But I want to remind us today that those things aren't inherently evil, right? And it's important to remember that these things are, are really, they're in some ways neutral. As Paul Tripp says, I think that social media is just like a screwdriver. With a screwdriver, you can build beautiful things, but you can also stab somebody in the face with it. So true. Indeed, social media is a tool, but we must realize that it's a powerful tool, one that we need to steward well with intentionality and honor God with. Justin has introduced to you that this year we're talking about the one another's found in scripture. And although love one another has gotten some attention from this stage already this year, I want to return to this topic this morning. And my goal today is to get us to think critically about the digital lives that we live and for us to ask the question, how do we love one another online? Because I'm, barely, I'm sure I barely have to tell you about the division we're experiencing in our world today, the division in our church, even the division on this campus. Every day we can see examples of Christians, quite frankly, failing at the, at the command to love one another. Especially we see this as we interact with each other online. We see bullying, we see factionalism, we see an unwillingness to hear the other side, finger pointing, name calling, in general just being mean. And there's, there's this easy answer we tend to believe, we tend to convince ourselves, well that's them. You know, th those, that's those other people who believe that. You know, they're the mean ones, they're the ones who give Christians a bad name. But hang on a second. Maybe you're not the one calling people names online, but how often does this happen to you? You see someone share or like a post um, that you don't happen to agree with. We so easily put them in the them category, don't we? Oh, they're on that side of the issue. So that's how they feel about race. That's how they feel about masks. That's how they feel about the election. You know, I've, I've been there. But as Alexander Solzhenitsyn says, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the dividing line, the, the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. We all have this capacity for unrighteousness inside us and this is, this is this fact, you only need to look at Paul's letters, right? This is why he tells us in his instructions for us for holy living, he says, you know, he's imploring us to embrace our new empowered identity in Christ. He asks us to throw off our sinful nature and instead be kind to one another, to be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven us. 
I've noticed certainly this capacity for living the sinful nature in my own life, uh, even as it relates to my digital life, my life lived online. And there are, I've noticed in my own life um, certain traps that social media in particular can really um, present, and, and they're easy to fall into these traps. And so I want to sh- share with you six traps that, that are common, I think, as we interact with social media and each other. First one is this, and I call it unfollow whack-a-mole. So if you don't know what this is, it, you maybe figured it out by the name, but, but sometimes I'm scrolling through my, my Instagram or, or Facebook or whatever it is, and uh, I see something that offends me. Somebody posted something that I just vehemently disagree with, and it creates this visceral reaction in me, and I just um, unfollow, unfollow. Or if I'm feeling kind of generous that day, snooze for 30 days. It may seem innocent enough, but you know, you're just clicking a button after all. But think about what actually happens in your mind and in your heart when this, when this happens. Oh, I can't stand this person. I am done with this person. You're eliminating this person from your life in a real way. And this can be a dark exercise. Now, I would concede that there are times where you need some healthy distance between, toxic, between you and a, and a toxic relationship. We can talk more about that in a little bit. But unfollow whack-a-mole. Watch out for that trap. Number two, social media never tells the whole story. It gives us an incomplete picture because we present the best and we assume the worst, don't we? We present the best, the social media curated self, right? This is, this is a sin of self-elevation. We present the best. I did this earlier with the pictures I chose to share with you on the screen of my family, right? Beautiful picture, but you haven't seen our messy kitchen. You haven't heard my kids screaming at each other in the minivan. I didn't post a picture of all the tough emotional weight that our family carries. I posted a snapshot, a posed three-second frame from the footage of our real life. We like to believe, don't we, that, that we really are who we are on Instagram. And even if we don't believe that, we want others to think it's true. But this isn't the real us. This is not authentic. We present the best to make ourselves look good. But let's remember the words of Paul in Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value yourselves above others, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. We present the best, and we assume the worst. We assume things to be true about someone based on what they post, especially if they post something we disagree with. We, again, we lump them into the them category. We assume the worst. Oh, they think that? I bet, I bet they voted for that person. I, I bet they believe this about that issue. I can't believe I follow this person. You know, social media hinders our opportunity to get to know people's true, authentic selves. How can we love one another if we're not presenting our true, authentic selves? And if we deny the opportunity for someone else's true and authentic self to be lived out? The third trap I want to share with you this morning, it's, I call it the echo chamber. 
You know, I'm sure you're all aware that social media platforms, um, they employ algorithms to help sort the information that we find and, and that we interact with. So based on how we interact with things, the algorithm will learn along the way and deliver us more and more of the things we're most likely to interact with. Sounds convenient, right? How handy is that? But let's be careful. I realized this a few years ago. At the time, I, I didn't have a whole lot of time to read or watch uh, the news, and so I decided I would let social media deliver me the news on a daily basis. So I followed some news outlets and some journalists, and I began clicking on stories I thought were interesting. And then I began to see more and more of the content that I really agreed with, and more and more of the headlines that bolstered my opinion of certain things. And, and after a while, I realized that I wasn't seeing uh, the other side of a lot of issues. It had become an echo chamber. I was consuming this media that was slanted or biased in a certain way, so I was missing a more complete picture of reality. I wasn't learning or discovering. I wasn't remaining curious about the issues of our day. What I was doing, I was galvanizing a certain perspective that I already had. And so what does this have to do with loving one another? Well, I believe that when we're used to being in our, in our own echo chamber, over time, we lose our ability to think critically. You know, it chips away at our capacity for empathy. It erodes our ability to, to listen and to learn from other perspectives and engage in productive God-honoring conversations that allow space to see the other. In a way, it dehumanizes those we think believe differently than we do. Friends, let's not lose our God-given, spirit-led ability to listen well, to empathize, to seek understanding. Let's remember what James tells us. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. The fourth trap of social media that I want to talk about is comparing. You know, this is how this looks like for me, and, and maybe it looks different for you, but I'm on social media and I see things like this. Wow, the Anderson's house looks so clean, and, and look at that shiplap wall. Whoa, the Fletchers are on vacation again. Dan got a new truck. Oh cool, straight A's for the neighbor kids. My college roommate and his family are taking a year off traveling the country in an RV. Oh, look, my former coworker just got a job at Hawaii Pacific University. That's a shiny snowblower. New hot tub. Cool cabin. Thanks for taking a selfie dur during your morning devotions. <laughs> and do you follow your ex-girlfriend or your ex-boyfriend on social media? Don't raise your hand. It's but if you do, know that I'm praying for you, for discernment, <laughs> discernment and wisdom. It's easy to measure your life by the standards you see on social media, but this leads to, to very dangerous things. It leads to discontent, it leads to envy, it leads to jealousy, it can lead to lust. It's unhealthy. And remember, we're comparing our reality to somebody else's curated self. 
And research tells us that, that this is one of the driving forces behind the sharp rise in anxiety and depression that we see in young people today. But friends, God wants better for your heart. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? The fifth trap I want us to watch out for, quarreling, okay? Disagreement is normal. Disagreement is an everyday part of life. There's lots of things to disagree about. And it's normal that, that not all of us would see every issue the same way. But arguing online, as common as that has become, it's rarely fruitful. Because online, speaking is easy, isn't it? But listening is almost impossible. So often, it's, it's not a conversation. It's two people saying things at each other. There's no opportunity for eye contact. It's harder to empathize with someone if you're not knee-to-knee with them. Uh, we have a tendency to say things and say things in different ways than we would if somebody were face-to-face with us. I think we, as a society, we've lost some of our ability to disagree well to respectfully engage in an alternative opinion or outlook. And I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that so much of our idea sharing now happens online. So let's watch out. Let's remember that quarreling, arguing online is a trap. Number six, it steals your time. It sucks you in, doesn't it? It distracts you from the people God has put you in community with. This is not news to you, I know. But let me act out a scene. Uh, just, just yesterday, this, this, something like this happened where I'm scrolling through uh, Instagram probably and, and I hear, Dad, can I go play on the iPad? No. Dad, can I go uh, FaceTime with my friends? No. Well, Dad, can I go watch TV? No. (laughs) And all the while, my eyes are glued to my phone. Far too often I parent while staring at my phone. But I don't think you can parent while glued to your device. I don't think you can engage in in the flesh relationships while being glued to your phone. And I'm afraid to say it, it's, it's more than a matter of being distracted. The social media use, it actually rewires our brain. These companies employ professionals whose job it is to get us addicted to their platform. That's sort of scary, isn't it? Let's do a little experiment. I want you to take out your phone right now. And there's, you know, I'm sure you know this, but your phone can now track your screen time usage. And I want you to, I want you to go find it right now. So Android users, Android users go to settings and then hit digital well-being and parental controls. iPhone users tap settings and then uh, scroll down to the screen time option. And I'm just going to give you 30 seconds or so just to look. Look at your own screen time use over the last day or days or weeks. All right, so 
Anybody, anybody surprised at what you see? Go ahead, and, if, you're, if you're willing, raise your hand if you're surprised at all at what you see. A couple of us, right? Anybody, and you don't have to raise your hand at this, anybody embarrassed? Anybody disappointed in what you're seeing? You know, I like a well-ordered life. I love when I feel a sense of, of uh, mastery over my own schedule. It's gratifying. I think it demonstrates self-control, but when I look at my screen time report, it's deflating. It's hard, to, it's, it's hard evidence that my life isn't as self-disciplined as I think it is or as I want it to be. I need to ask myself, am I honoring God with my time? Am I stewarding that resource wisely? Am I giving him the first and best of my time? Am I giving the best of me to my family and those he's put in my life? There's a better way. And I wanna offer you um, three practical pieces of, of information to consider. And they all start with the letter C. And the first C is critical. No, I'm not talking about be critical. I'm saying think critically. And this one's hard, right? Really hard. But at least put some intentionality behind where you get the information you consume. Don't be passive consumers. Do some research. Consider a different news source. Consider, um, consider who, whose posts you're reading. There are news outlets on the left and the right that have bias. There are some that might not have as much Do some research on that. But no matter matter what news source you're watching, no matter whose posts you're reading, think critically. That's the the beauty of being the age that you are, is that you're getting really good at, at creative thinking. So practice that every day in your use of social media. So the first C is critical. The second, curious. Stay curious. Desire to see issues from all sides. Ask why. Seek more knowledge and wisdom. Ask clarifying questions. And importantly, you guys, hear me. Have actual, real live conversations with people. Who, even people who disagree with you on a certain issue. I know that that takes courage. But be brave. God has given you the power to do that. And the third C is compassionate. Hear me, don't forget. You can disagree with someone and still love them. You cannot see eye to eye on an issue but still respect a person. I wanna offer us some ways to be compassionate. Okay, and so, so I want you to consider the fruit of the spirit. I want you to use your fruit filter as you engage with other people your fruit filter, asking yourself, is what I'm about to post an outflow of the fruit of the Spirit? And you can ask yourself these four questions. What's my real motive? Am I trying to help, hurt, or just get noticed? Two, are people better off or worse off for having read what I posted? Number three, am I calling out the worst in people or attempting to bring out the best? 
And four, if the person I'm writing to was in the room looking me in the eye, would I say the same thing in the same way? And while we're on the topic of compassion, I want you to have compassion for yourself. One way to do that, friends, uh, try a social media fast, okay? If you've never done that before, or, even, or if you have done that before, you know that that takes um, some discipline, right? But remove yourself for a time from the noise, from the posts that bother you, from the digital war that's being waged around you. Take a break from it. Take some time to recenter. Give yourself a goal. Maybe it's a day. Maybe it's a week. Maybe it's a month. Maybe it's a summer. But take a break. Remove yourself from it. Make it at least as long as you feel, so that it makes you feel uncomfortable. Most importantly, you guys, I just gave you a list of do's and don'ts and some practical tips, and I hope you consider those, but hear me, those, those practical pieces, they're useless if you are disconnected from the one who has the power to help you live these things out. And I want to talk a second about remaining connected to God, to the source of life. John 15 is one of those passages that tells us to love one another. And it gives us some crucial information about what that looks like. Starting at verse five in John 15, Jesus says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I loved you. Raise your hand if you have a belly button. Most of us. Don't prove it. Don't get weird up in here. Let's not go there. But belly buttons are amazing things. And you know what they're for, right? You know, I didn't think too much about things like umbilical cords until having my first child. And I got to tell you, they're gross. They're really nasty. But umbilical cords, they're this amazing part of God's creation, right? I'd put it right up there with falling stars or, or, or sunsets. Really, think about it. You know what an umbilical cord is for, right? As a baby develops inside the mother, by the way, this is a free biology. There's no tuition being charged for this, okay? <laughs> As the, as the baby develops inside the mother, he or she floats in fluid inside the mother's womb. And, and while the baby's in there, it can't breathe or eat. And that's where the umbilical cord comes in. This umbilical cord, it's a flexible tube that carries oxygen and nutrients from the mother directly to the baby. The mom is literally the source of life for this growing child. If the baby wasn't connected to her, it wouldn't survive. And this is true for us in our relationship with God. If we stay connected to God, we'll live. 
So friends, let's remain in Christ. Let's abide in Christ. Let's prioritize, let's invest in, let's make time for our relationship with Christ on an everyday basis. And as we remain in him, his spirit will give us the power to love one another. Love one another even in our digital lives. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for your presence here in this place. Thank you for the words of truth that we see in scripture, God, and thanks for helping us through your spirit's power to interpret them for our complicated lives in this day and age. God, as we walk out of this room, may we walk with the confidence knowing that you're with us, that your spirit lives inside us, that your spirit gives us the strength we need to make the changes we wanna see in our lives. God, the changes that we know will bring you glory. God, as it relates to our digital lives, may we just remember, uh, God, to love one another. In your name we pray, amen.